You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Wednesday the 20th of April. It's a lovely, beautiful spring day here in TW11. I've come back home from a very enjoyable weekend in Wells, as I said yesterday. And albeit that there is so much to get excited about on the flat at the moment, perfect power going for the Guineas, classic trial season, Appleby winning another one, news coming from Australia about some of the way ways that Racing Victoria are, are tinkering with the restrictions to the Melbourne Cup. We'll be talking about that later in the week. Controversial news coming in from Scandinavia about the whip regulations. National Hunt Racing continues to dominate the headlines and it will do so again today on this podcast because uh, I can announce that the uh, man who has been one of the most influential figures in the sport through the last four decades, and that is not uh, an overstatement, uh, Dave Roberts, the man who delivered Tony McCoy and Richard Johnson 24 consecutive jumps titles between them, is stepping down from his role at the end of uh, of the week. Uh, Saturday is the conclusion of the jump season and Dave is with me now. Dave, talk about the end of an era. I mean, certainly everything I can remember in jump racing has, if not been controlled by you, at least heavily influenced by it. What's what's prompted the decision? Um, it's been 36 years I've been doing the job now, right back from uh, the first jockey Dean Gallagher through to now. and um, It's probably if i i've always done my job saying that i would do it for 12 months and you know if you're in for the season you're in for the season and the last couple of months i was just um thinking could i do another year and having another 365 days of getting up at five o'clock every morning and i think the head said yes but the body said no so um not that i ever thought i was had much common sense, but I think common sense has told me to say this is this is time, just it's the right time. And, um, you know, obviously I've had a great time and probably feel slightly embarrassed of all the jockeys I've been able to deal with and the successes we've had. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's an emotional time, but I think it's definitely the right time. Uh, you will forever be associated with the 20 times champion, Sir A.P. McCoy. Is there any possibility in your mind that his achievements, either amount of winners or number of championships, could ever be surpassed? Um, I've gone on record many times and said I, um, no disrespect to any jockey that rides or starts riding, but I don't think anybody will ever reach the figures that he reached. And um, it was a very special era and, and a very special person and jockey who you were dealing with and it certainly won't happen in my lifetime. I really don't think so. When you were living it, when you were in the thick of it, did you really realise the phenomenon that was being created? Um, it was quite early on. I remember, a very. it's funny when you look back now, when you know you're retiring, you look back at certain moments and he rode a winner at Hereford for Gerald Ham in a novice handicap chase off 10 stone. And Toby Balding had told me that don't let him do lightweights, but he wouldn't not turn the ride down. And he rode it and the ride he gave it, I just thought, God, you know, this is 
this is a serious jockey. And it was even early when he was a conditional, you knew that it was something special you were dealing with as a person and as a jockey, you know, and his knowledge of the horses was second to none. How many jockeys have you got on your books at the moment? Because I think our international listeners will be quite surprised by this. Uh, If you were including the conditionals, um, you'd be looking about 47, 48 at the moment, probably slightly more, actually. Probably if you said 50, you're not going to be far off the mark. So you're looking after the rides of 50 jockeys, and that is by no means your peak number, is it? How many did you look after at, it, at, its, at its biggest? I think we did touch on 69 months, which, um, including conditionals, uh, which was quite, a, quite an effort. But, you know, I've always took the view, and I will do, and there's, there's a big gap in the market for someone who wishes to take up this job. Um, as long as you're prepared to put the hours in and, you know, commit to 365 days a year um i've always took the view that if you did one jockey and then did another one there is a conflict of interest maybe i'm wrong but if you did one and then two there's kind of a conflict of interest but if you do say 12 18 20 jockeys i'd never saw the problem with say doing 21 or 22 jockeys you're doing it as you're doing the same job for everyone um and whoever does wish to have a go at the job you know the one thing i would say to them is that if you're going to take on tony mccoy and you're going to take on just as his name's in front of me joe anderson claiming seven you have to do the same job for them both you have to try and get the rides for your champion jockey or your leading jockeys but you still have to get the rides for the young jockeys to promote them and get their career off the ground and and that gives you a lot of satisfaction when you pick up a young jockey who no one's heard of and um, say with this Joe Anderson would be perfect. They have an under 10 uh, winner's series and under 20 winner's series and he's won both this year. And that gives you a lot of um, pleasure that you're helping someone, you know, really nurturing their career into something which hopefully could lead to a professional career. Are you as much a scout, a talent spotter as you are an administrator? Um... I think you have to be watching the young jockeys. Um, Kevin Brogan is one of mine, who's the champion conditional this year. And um, I was given the heads up on him quite early on. And you knew that, again, he was slightly um, better than the average conditional. So if you're given a little clue of someone's taken on a young jockey, have a look at him. You're always watching. Um, But... Yeah, I think you you know you need to watch nearly every race. You should watch every race because one to keep up on the form, and the other there could be a budding young Mister McCoy riding round in the you know novice handicap chase at Ludlow today, and you think oh he's good, and then you you know follow his career, and then you might make a move and try and sign him up. Because this must be so addictive, really, or because you have watched every race for basically thirty six years and have have done this job for so long. <clears throat> and it is so relentless, are you going to struggle weaning yourself off it? That is going to be the big thing. Um, it's I, I don't honestly know. I've always thought I'm not someone who would struggle to find things to do. As you know, my beloved Chelsea. So one thing I've always wanted to do is go to every home and away game, including the European games in a season, which will be top of the list. That's what I'm plan to do next year 
Um, but I've always thought I'd be fine with it. You know, I, I play golf, not very well, but I like playing golf. And um, but I don't know is the answer. It's uh, I've got I've got to try and do it, and hopefully I will. But I've said to all my jockeys yesterday. Obviously, I form informed them yesterday, and I've said to them all, I'm not going anywhere. Any advice um, they wish to have in the next four to six weeks and finding a new agent or any advice in the future, I've said to them all that they can ring any time and nothing changes apart from the fact I just won't be booking their rides. Which moment has really gripped you, has had the most significant resonance with you through your career? I think from a personal point of view, um, when Mountain Tunes won at Towster, when AP won on that, that was probably the moment um, would have mean most to me because the day before my father passed away and um, I remember going, my son drove me there and we went and I went onto the course to see him afterwards like I used to when he broke records and um, he just looked at me and just looked up and said that was one that was your daddy's watching us and I thought god you know that really hit a nerve which I never forgotten summed up what that man was all about you know he was my dad and AP McCoy were just two of the most influential men in my life Dave Roberts super agent agent to AP McCoy Richard Johnson and so many many more announcing his retirement here on the podcast Cornelius Lysett was listening in there. Cornelius, it's it's hard to overstate just how significant a figure Dave Roberts has been in National Hunt Racing. I think if we were if we were doing an NLD um, uh, analysis, the most influential people in jump racing since the end of the nineteen eighties, then Dave Roberts, if not actually number one, would be pretty close to number one, and has been acknowledged in that role on lots of occasions, Sir Anthony McCoy in particular, Richard Johnson, the champion jockeys uh, that he made. He was absolutely in the right place at the right time, even if he probably didn't realise it at the time. End of the 80s, the whole concept of jockeys agents, which now is so familiar to everybody, was just something sort of that nobody really considered. Peter Scudamore, John Frankham, the, the big names in jumping of the um, of the late 70s, 80s, early 90s, uh, those two in particular, they didn't have an agent. They had a diary, which I suspect lived next to the telephone in their kitchen. Uh, and they just filled in, right, we'll be going to Plumpton on Monday, we'll be going to Ascot on Saturday, et cetera, et cetera. And they did it all themselves. But but it became apparent that in as racing grew, as the amount of fixtures grew, uh, as the amount of competition uh, grew, that, that having agents, having booking agents, people that would sit practically in literally a darkened room uh, and just take phone calls and just work out. So they needed, A, the contacts to receive the phone calls, make the phone calls to uh, to get the rides and to uh, arrange the rides, but also the form analysis to be able to look at that handicap hurdle, that handicap chase, that good race for their uh, clients and work out what they thought the best um, the best horse to to get on would be. And uh, Dave Roberts has been astonishingly successful for an enormous amount of, of time. The, the gap that he is going to be leaving in terms of riders who will be needing representatives, just looking at the list of riders that Dave Roberts, jump jockeys that uh, Dave Roberts has today, 
starting with Joe Anderson, uh, alphabetically, who won a race, I'm not going to go through all of them, don't worry, uh, who won a race at, at Sedgefield yesterday, James Best injured at the moment, Nico de Boinville, Kevin Brogan, the champion conditional this year, Tom Cannon, who's had such a good year, Harry Cobden, Aidan Coleman, Robbie Dunn, Bryony Frost, you know, the, the list goes on and on and on. Daryl Jacob is another on there, John Joe O'Neill Jr. is on there, Richie McLernan, Jamie and Josh Moore. Uh, the, the, the Brendan Powell, and we've only got to P, Nick Schofield, Tom Scudamore uh, as well, and going right down to, to Jack Tudor, uh, who's one of the most promising younger riders in the country. So, and I probably missed others out. So an enormous number of riders. But that said, there aren't that many other jockeys agents. So it'd be interesting to see the dynamics. And the, you might be thinking, especially if you're, you're not listening in the UK, you might be thinking, hang on a minute, they're, they're talking about a, a jockey's agent here you know, so what? Not an owner, trainer, breeder, jockey, whatever. But it, it, it's almost impossible to overstate the influence that, that one guy here could exert over over the shape of the sport and which horses were ridden by which jockeys and therefore which trainer-jockey relationships would burgeon and thrive under that level of influence and the extent to which trainers began to completely rely on on Dave Roberts. But he was very ambitious as well for the riders. In the 1993-94 season, it was a tremendous tussle between Adrian Maguire, represented by Dave Roberts, and Richard Dunwoody, uh, who was not re- represented by Dave Roberts. And it really got into Richard Dunwoody's mind. And Adrian Maguire was the, the young rising star who was taking Dunwoody, the established champion, on. The last day of the season, it was Stratford in the afternoon and then market raising in the evening to, to end off the season. And in the past, you'd, the jockeys would have probably gone, gone to Stratford and that would have been that and then gone to the pub to have a party. Uh, but he, w- he wasn't for that. It was go to Stratford, then get an aircraft to market raising. And I was in the aircraft with Dave Roberts, Adrian Maguire, Norman Williamson. Uh, and we left Stratford with Adrian still able to win. I think he might have even hold, held a narrow advantage going on to market raising for a whole lot of good rides. Dunwoody, we left behind at Stratford, but he was going to fly on of, of his own accord. Uh, and as it turned out, um, Dunwoody had a bit more success at Stratford, came on to market raising, uh, and they ended up, I think there was four in it at the end, 198, 194, but it was a tremendous tussle. But this was typical Dave Roberts. We're not just going to settle for going to the one meeting to try and um, try and do, do all we can at that meeting. We're going to get in an aeroplane and we're going to get off to market raising. That was just such a typical illustration of how Dave Roberts thought outside the box as well as very much inside the box when considering all the form and what the best rides in the various races were. So Dave Roberts Cornelius uh, led first Tony McCoy and then Richard Johnson to 24 consecutive Jockeys Championships. Last couple of years the championship's gone different ways to Brian Hughes and then Harry Skelton. Hughes will regain it this time round and by a huge margin and he's one away from joining that elite club of riders to have ridden 200 winners in a season. He got to 199 yesterday. I th- and I think he's due to have, I think he's hoping to have a, a, a number of rides at uh, at Sandown uh, based on the Northern Circuit and a tremendous ambassador for Jump Racing's Northern Circuit. Two wins at Sedgefield, the, the race course at which he's been most successful uh, this season uh, in County Durham, close to his close to his home. Two more wins yesterday took, took him to 199. Uh, I think he probably needed, he, he, he sort of needed to get to 199, if not the actual 200. 
uh, at Sedgefield because the last few days of the season he will be there's the three-day festival at Perth underway he'll have rides at uh, Perth I guess all through Wednesday Thursday and Friday he ought to pick up a a win uh, there but it's fiercely competitive a festival fixture at Perth not as well known obviously as the the, the famous spring festivals in these islands but still a festival uh, with very competitive racing in Incidentally, the most beautiful part of the country. If anyone needs a British racing destination, I can't recommend Perth Racecourse in the Palace of Schoon, uh, north of Edinburgh in, in Scotland, uh, uh, any higher than, um, than saying it would be an absolutely fantastic visit. Brian Hughes will be there all week. 200 wins would be a fabulous uh, achievement. He is the runaway winner uh, in terms of champion jockey this year. It clearly hurt him when he lost it last year he, he having won it in the past lost it last year to harry skelton but he's very much back on the top and he will be lauded as he wasn't last year because of covid restrictions will be lauded by a big crowd of colleagues of family and of supporters at sandown uh, on saturday well back to where the action on the track is really hotting up a flat action and domestic classic trials season continuing and news that richard fahi trainer of perfect power has declared that his stable star will run in the 2000 guineas if all is well with him uh, the last Saturday in April, Cornelius. I, for one, am very happy about that. Uh, as well as talk of the guineas uh, at Newbury, there was talk of the French guineas, perhaps even the Commonwealth Cup route. Um, but um, no, it seems there have been talks between Richard Fahi, trainer, Sheikh uh, Rashid Dalmouk, the Colts owner, uh, and they've decided uh, they're going to go to the 2000 Guineas on the Rolling Mile on April the 30th. Um, the son of our dad seemingly thriving at three, unlike his dad, unlike many of his siblings. And uh, he's anything from about 10 to 14 to one for the first British uh, classic, making him fourth or fifth favourite behind Native Trail, behind Caribus, behind Luxembourg. Um, Richard Fahey, Irish-born, one-time conditional jump jockey, once upon a time would have been preparing to go to Perth this week, probably, unlike Brian Hughes, for only one or two rides, uh, as opposed to the amount that um, uh, Brian Hughes uh, is going for. Uh, prolific, mainly flat trainer based at Malton in North Yorkshire, uh, regularly with around or above 200 winners in a year, plenty of group and grade one success, but no classic success. Uh, as of yet so that's a really interesting extra dynamic as is assuming Christophe Soumillon continues his unbeaten association with perfect power um, as is Christophe Soumillon's presence in the saddle it's a year or two it may be actually I think as many as five or six years since uh, Christophe Soumillon the, the the Belgian born French ace won a major UK race Almanzor winning the the champion stakes on British Champions Day in 2016 beating found so that's another extra dimension. So it's really shaping up into uh, a really intriguing 2000 guineas. And, um, you know, the fact is this Richard Fahey horse has won the green in great style. The further they went, the better uh, the horse looked. He's handled the track. If he'd had a bit further to go in the middle park, he'd have won more impressively. I think he's a, a really, really interesting contender. Can't wait. Well, one man who should be very happy that perfect power... Um, is going to run in the 2000 guineas is the man who bought not just perfect power but also his own sire our dad and both as breeze up horses we've been focusing on breeze up sales this last couple of weeks and both at the same goffs uk breeze up sale at doncaster where he is now richard brown this has all come full circle and gloriously so how pleased are you that richard's going 2000 guineas with perfect power 
Yeah, I'm absolutely delighted. Um, he um, he hit the line very strong at Newbury, and Sheikh Rashid was uh, very keen to have a go as long as you know the horse was telling us that he'd come out of the racing good nick because it's obviously quite a quick turnaround. Um, but Richard said he counted the horse yesterday morning and he was squealing and bucking. So I think we've uh, we've ticked that box and uh, Sheikh Rashid's a real sportsman and he's game, game on to have a go. So yeah, it's very exciting. Uh, let me go back all the way to, to when you bought the sire of Perfect Power. What what did you like about Ardad and, and sort of what appealed to you at the time? Um, he was... Uh, he was... Uh, a beautiful horse. He's a gorgeous individual. Um, he did an exceptionally good breeze. Like we graded it that day as the best breeze in the sale. Um, and it, I suppose the one thing we all talk about with breeze up horses is temperament. They have to jump through a lot of hoops. And uh, he just had the most chilled out temperament. And he certainly seems to be passing that on to his progeny because perfect power is, a, is you know spends most of his time asleep. So did an exceptional breeze. Very good looking colt and had a very good temperament. And so he then went to John Gosden, he won the Windsor Castle, and then he was a looked like a kind of ready-made two-year-old stallion with lots of interesting little stallions in his in his pedigree as well. If I'd said to you that he was going to throw up a 2,000 guineas fancy, would you have been surprised? Uh, the honest answer is I'd, I'd have to say yes, I would. Um, you know, he looked all speed. Um, and he was all speed. Um, he won the Windsor Cast in a faster time than Profitable did the uh, King Stand. You know, it was an exceptional performance, but it, he was all speed. But he's already had four three-year-old winners this year. Everyone tells me they, they, they have trained on. And if you then start looking for clues in his female side, you will see plenty of... Um, you know, plenty of examples of horses that have stayed much further. So when you go looking for it, it's now not a surprise. And so Perfect Power, as an example of Ardad's first crop, um, when you bought him, the stallion was just starting to make a little bit of noise, wasn't he? But certainly not the kind of noise that we, we associate with him now. No, that's exactly right. He'd had a few winners. He came out of the blocks very quick, which is, you know, we were lucky enough to cover a big book with him um, last year because he had a phenomenal early start. So there was glimmers, um, but you couldn't, you know, it was so early in the season when this breeze up comes that you couldn't say that he was he was going to be, a you know, the leading first season sire in Britain, which he ended up being. Um but again, you know, I've worked with Sheikh Rashid for a long time and he was, um, you know, he was very keen to take the chance. And luckily for me, he, he decided to do so. So tell me about Perfect Power as a, as a breezer, as a horse that you inspected as a physical specimen. Very similar to his father, I think. That was one of the, that was one of the um, main points that Sheikh Rashid and I discussed. Again, did a very good breeze, is a very good-looking colt, and just showed that bomb-proof temperament, which is, which is so important. These young horses, you know, they have to gallop two furlongs on their own. They then have to show. They have to, you know, they go through, uh, they go through a lot, and to come through that and not turn a hair is a, you know, is a hard thing to do. And when that happens, you have to act. And like I say, luckily Sheikh Rashid was game on to have a to have a go. I mean, it, he's a wonderful horse, perfect parry. He's already uh, you know, a stallion in his own right, really, prospectively. The, the Guineas is going to divide opinion so sharply, and it's part of the beauty of the game. Will he be as effective over a mile? Can he be as effective over a mile? What What do you think, knowing him so intimately as you do? 
<laughs> honest, I don't know. But I think if you, um, I stood, I stood yesterday with Freddie Talicki, who was obviously top jockey, and uh, I was chatting with Freddie, and I said, if I showed you the video of the Greenham, and I said, watch the horse in the yellow colours with the black seams, and I didn't tell you what he was by or what he had won as a two-year-old, would you be telling me that that horse wouldn't get a mile? And Freddie was like, of course not. He hit the line strong. He only had two little flicks. He actually won cosily in the end. You know, I think, um, I think there's every chance on the on. On the back of the green, and there's every chance that he'll stay a mile. You know, it, the thing is with the guineas, they will go very hard. There's going to be no hiding place, but they went a good pace in the green as well. Um, and I think you don't know until you try. And look, if we, you know, if we get beaten because he doesn't quite get home, well, we can dust ourselves off and we can, um, you know, we've still got a good season to look forward to. But the most important thing about running at Newbury was, obviously, we wanted to find out about Trip, but the biggest question for me was always, you know, has he trained on? So many top two-year-olds don't trade on. And at least we tick that box. So whether we're lucky enough to win the Guineas or be close in the Guineas, um, I think we've got a big season ahead. And then, you know, continuing the the theme, really, would you be expecting to be buying a perfect power breezer in three, four years' time at Goff's UK breeze-up sale? Yeah, very much so. Let's hope so. It's, it, it is. It is great. You, you know, you you know you've been. I've been stock agent twenty years now, and you know you're getting old when you start seeing sort of third and fourth dams that you bought as yearlings. And uh, I can just see that happening. That I might be buying grandsons of our dad in, uh, in in a few years' time. But yeah, look, absolutely. Whatever happens, you know, he's a multiple Group One winning two year old. You know, he's come out, won the Greenham, and let's hope there's other you know other big days in him. He's a stallion already, and let's just hope he can keep adding to his CV. Richard Brown there, the agent who bought Perfect Power and his own sire, Ardad. Now we're in the beginning of Derby trial season. The Derby will take place the first Saturday in June. The first recognised trial took place yesterday at Epsom, the Kazoo Blue Ribboned Trial over the Derby course, but not over the Derby distance. This one run over a mile and a quarter. Nahani was the winner, earning himself an automatic berth into the big race itself. Trained by guess who? Yep. Charlie Appleby again, our number one top-ranked trainer on TRC Global Rankings, and William Buick, who is climbing those rankings with some considerable stealth. And Nahani making it 13 wins from the last 23 runners for Appleby at a strike rate of 57%. The last couple of weeks has been nothing short of extraordinary for the master of Moulton Paddocks. You may assume that he has better ones than Nahani, but he was very complimentary about this horse afterwards, as was William Buick. And I thought Mighty Ulysses, the horse who eventually finished fifth, shaped with quite a bit of promise for the Gosdens and Frankie Dottori, and may yet be quite an interesting stakes horse moving forward, Cornelius. Yeah. By Frankel uh, Nahani, um, demonstrated credentials for the Derby, didn't he? Uh, when successful uh, in the blue ribboned over a mile and a quarter, uh, beating a couple of horses that uh, both put in performances of considerable promise, Grand Alliance and Zane Zorinda. Uh, United Nations for Aidan O'Brien finishing fourth, staying on uh, over the mile and a quarter. Nahani racing for the Fourth time this year, I think, winning for the third after success at Leicester and Kempton over a bit further. You get a place uh, in the derby as a result of uh, winning yesterday. And it sounds as though they'll probably have a go. And uh, I may I be the first person to mention, I think it's the 243rd derby. There's always a joke amongst me and a couple of our, of our colleagues who have friends who uh, work in other sports. We love to mention how many derbies there have been, 243rd derby, just to uh, make the point that uh, this particular event is much older than any Wimbledons or Open Golfs or Cup Finals or Six Nations. Uh, just thought I'd throw that in. 
and the Appleby Fair rolls on to Sandown on Friday. And the Bet365 Classic trial has been brought back into fashion by the great man after years of not really yielding an awful lot in terms of significant derby. Clues last year threw up the winner Adeyar, who didn't even win the race. It was won by Alon Kerr, no mean performer himself. And a certain Yabir was in the mix too. So if we can repeat last year's race, we're in for a cracker Friday. That takes place at 3.35 at Sandown uh, the day after tomorrow. Goldspur will be Appleby's representative there, again with Buick aboard a cult by Dubawi um, from a family with mixed speed and stamina messages. But the fact that this is the nominated runner for the yard in flying form clearly is of great significance. And if you missed yesterday's podcast, I'd urge you to go back and listen to Andrew Balding talking about his four-year-old filly, Alcohol Free, who's set to make her seasonal debut in the Bet365 Mile, the Group 2, are en route to a campaign that could take in some of the prizes you'd expect, like the Breeders' Cup Mile and the Foray, but also some sprinting prizes in midsummer, like the Platinum Jubilee and the July Cup. And while we're just back-referencing a bit, not something I particularly like to do on this show, but it seems relevant today to congratulate yesterday's guest, James Horton. No sooner had he trained that treble at Redker, the, the horse he nominated as the one he was looking forward to most, the apple of his eye, incorrigible, went and bolted up at Wolverhampton last night. And at odds of five to two, looking remarkably generous, given the trainer's sentiments beforehand. Right, we are off to Hong Kong and to J.A. McGrath. Nick, big news coming out of Hong Kong this week, and it's good news, and that is about prize money increases for the 22-23 racing season, which begins in September. Let's look at the Hong Kong international races for a start, and that is that in the coming year, we're going to see £11 million offered in total for that series, which is fantastic. The Hong Kong Cup, for instance, is now worth... £3.4 million. That was the race won by Loves Only You. It's over a mile and a quarter. It's an increase of 13.3%. Looking at the mile, that's now worth £3 million, which represents an increase of 15.4%. And the vase over a mile and a half will be worth £2.2 million. That's an increase of 10%. It ranks as the sixth highest mile and a half race in the world as of December 22. Well, let's look at the average Class 1 race in Hong Kong in the coming season, and that'll be worth £345,000. And the Class 5, which is the lowest class, is going to be worth 81000 It's absolutely incredible. Well, let's turn our attention to Happy Valley this week. We see the usual nine-race card under lights, and we see some good opportunities for jockey Karis Teton, who currently is third on the jockey's list on 55 winners. He trails Zach Purton, who's on 104, and Joe Moreira, who's on 103. He's a long way behind them, but he is firmly established as number three in Hong Kong, and that's a pretty big deal. He's got some great opportunities. Race seven, uh, number two, Scotch Tycoon, is a very promising sprinter, is drawn gate eight, but Karras, I think, will be able to get this horse over and uh, into a good position from that barrier. 
Uh, number four, smart idea, who's the mount of Harry Bentley, looks to be the main danger. So race seven, number two, Scotch Kaikoon to beat number four, smart idea. Later on in race nine, Karras rides number six, Packing Award, who's up seven pound for a recent win, but I don't think that's going to stop him. He's trained by Peter Ho, who hasn't got a big stable, but he's done a very good job with Packing Award. To beat number three, Rocket Spade, who's uh, trained by Casper Fowler, written by Blake Shin, who has announced that at the end of the season he's going back to Australia, he's leaving Hong Kong permanently, which is a big loss. He's really worked his way into the top bracket. He's a first-class rider, and he's going to be sorely missed. But looking at the program, my best bet is race seven, number two, Scotch Tycoon, take him in a toe swinger with number four, Smart Idea. That's all on the Hong Kong beat for this week. We'll have more for you next week. Well, thanks to Jim, to all my guests today. Cornelius still with me, and Cornelius has a tip for you. Um, actually, I'll tell you what's eye-catching. Salisbury 610, Frankie Dettori going to Salisbury for one ride uh, <clears throat> on a Gosden horse, Zamburu. Uh, one a good to soft maiden at uh, Great Yarmouth in October. But uh, that's not the selection. I'm going to take you back to uh, the um, the estate of the Palace of Schoon in central Scotland to Perth and to the 516 race. 516, don't be late. And number four, Beep Beep, up in distance to three miles for his debut in a handicap. The Mount, it's an amateur rider's race. The Mount of Zach Baker, brother of the former jockey George. Zach, who uh, reached the notable landmark and passed it, indeed, of 100 point-to-point winners over the Easter holiday. Nigel Twiston Davis, who does well at Perth very often, is the trainer and went north to win one of the major races uh, at the um, all-weather finals at Newcastle uh, last uh, Good Friday. He's got number four, Beep Beep, which is the selection with Zach Baker riding in the 516 at Perth. Cornelius, thanks so much. That was Wednesday the 20th of April. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.